welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Uh, today, we're joined by Jody Walkley. Jody is um, author of Worldcast Leadership, has a lot of years of experience in the corporate world with resilience in the workplace, and wanted to bring her on today to talk about change and change that technology can bring about within the workplace um, and the impact that might have. Jody, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest, Andrew. No, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. It's taken a little while for us to get on. We've had a few delays in this uh, recording. I think we we're going to record three or four months ago, but yes, it's good to finally see you face to face. Absolutely. Now, now Jody, always like to ask a question um, a bit about you, your background, your history. Tell us a bit about yourself and um, just for the audience. Yep. So I um, specialize in resilience. Uh, so that can be resilience from an individual point of view. So somebody building their own resilience. It can also be from a leadership point of view. So a leader building their own resilience, but also leading in a way that, that helps their team build resilience. And then also around culture, because there's things in, in culture that um, cause stress for people and, um, yeah, so looking at resilience at all all three um, levels and, and change management that we're talking about today is definitely part of that. Yeah, I think that's it, that's where resilience is really required sometimes. <laughs> um, we sort of get, as humans, we don't like change, do we? Uh, we just like to, things as normal um, and as is. I think um, pre-COVID, no one wanted to leave the, the office environment and the change was thrust upon us. And now no one wants to go back because we used to <laughs> a new world. So yeah, we don't like change, that's for sure. Um, in terms of resilience, tell us a bit about what that means to you, because I think there could be a number of different meanings, especially across the different um, people that you work with. What does that mean to build resilience, especially in the workplace? Yep. So if you look at it from an individual point of view, um, I basically work with people to to build resilience in that things happen um, as much as possible to to stay in that calm, in control, clear headed um, way of being as much as possible. That's one side of it. The second side is is pretty much unless you're a Zen monk. Um, Nobody stays in that 24-7 every no. day. So there's always <laughs> going to be things that test our, um, test our stress levels. And I help people with when that happens to recognise it in themselves because it's got to the point where there is so much stress around that people often don't realise that they're stressed, mm-hmm. recognise it in themselves and build them, bring themselves back to, to calm. And there's, I guess there's also like a third side of it is if things are really going wrong and it's a really difficult um, period to actually almost have that grit and that internal fortitude to sort of find your way through it and see the light at the end of the tunnel. So that's from an individual point of view. Um, mm-hmm. If you take that to resilience at a sort of a leadership corporate culture level, it's around helping things within the business so that it fosters that resilience in your people as much as possible um, and reduces how they feel stresses as much as possible. So a lot Especially of the general cool. cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. On the, um, I'm, I'm actually quite intrigued, uh, on the 
bring yourself back to calm. I'd love to understand some of the strategies you might put into play for some of these people. I'll take us on a bit of a tangent, but um, just for probably self-interest, actually. <laughs> no, all good. Yeah. So when you're feeling stressed, how do you actually bring yeah, it up? Yeah, I use a number of different strategies because I know I'm pretty much self-aware most of the time, but we have our moments. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty good to learn about different strategies and means to do that. And um, Yeah. Yep. So most of the strategies go to the physiological response of stress. Mm -hmm. So when you're stressed, um, there's things that happen physiologically. Your blood flow goes to extremities. So it's the fight, flight or freeze response. Blood flow goes to extremities um, rather than your internal organs. So things like digestion and immune function and that sort of stuff is severely impaired. Your brain also, how your brain works changes. So... Um, a lot of the thinking part of your brain doesn't work as well and you go more into the survival, they call it mm -hmm. the reptilian part of the brain, the, the fight, flight or freeze. So the in-the-moment things to bring yourself back to calm pretty much are all ways to trick that physiology. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. there's a whole range of them. Not all of them, none of them work for everybody. Um, the one that probably works for more people than any others is the deep belly breathing. So you basically force yourself to sit um, upright, really slow down your breathing. Um, and generally the best way is make your exhale longer than your inhale and you do that even a couple of minutes can make a big difference. So I say to people, um, a slow in count for four, a slow out count for six. Mm -hmm. And that. Again, the physiology, it's telling your body I'm not in that life or death situation because the physiology is if you life or death, shallow, rapid breathing. So you're mm -hmm. doing the opposite. You know, also there's two yeah. parts to that. It's also changing focus, right? So two breath, which is bringing you to a different place. So when we're stressed, we're focusing on something external generally that's out of our control. That's usually um, what's what we're focused on. And it's like, yeah. how do we, all right, getting back to self and yeah. breath and focus change makes a big difference. So, yep, that makes a lot of sense. That's Absolutely. Cool. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole heap of others. So, yeah, and, um, and one of one of the ones that people people um, find, are quite intrigued by is when you're stressed, you, you mouth dries up. Mm -hmm. So if you just consciously don't swallow your saliva, let your mouth dry, sorry, let your mouth fill with saliva and swirl it around, again, it's tricking that physiology, but it's also doing, as you said, as well, it's changing your focus so you're really conscious of what's going on. I've never heard of that one before, so I'll take that away. <laughs> one, of the, one of the ones I use, I don't know if you heard of them, my heart math program. Those guys, um, heart math. Yeah, heart yeah. math. Yeah, their heart breathing exercises and bits and pieces. I've done an all of that. The journey. That's quite a nice place to be if you're practicing that once, twice, three times a day. It makes a big impact in terms of your levels of stress. And um, there's meditations. There's all sorts of things you can do. But um, yes, it's all about just being centered. Um, but we all have our moments. No one's perfect. Like you said, no one's a Zen monk. <laughs> oh, unless you're a Zen monk, it's different. <laughs> Right, back on track a little bit, so diverging around a little bit, but that's okay. Um, in terms of, so people who are listening to podcasts are generally people that are building technology products and probably going to impact people in corporates in day-to-day -day life and uh, probably don't really understand that that might happen, and I think it's important, and I think you learn that over the journey of um, working in technology that you're impacting a person at the other end, especially if it's a process change um, and if it's potentially job-threatening. Uh, in a way, you're taking some of their work away. They might feel threatened, even though the, the business may not think that way. It's still, we all look at ourselves first. Um, so 
want to talk to, to that a little bit and how we might manage that internally within our organisation, but also from a business perspective, how do we have that conversation with the organisations that we're actually approaching? Absolutely, such an important topic to cover and you're spot on with what you're saying. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, that's for sure. So in terms of some of the, the things that we need to consider about um, managing change internally and what this looks like, because a lot of change is coming from technology and a lot's happening as a result of COVID and all the changes that we've had um, over the time. But um, what are some of the key things that we can do within the organisation as a person to deal with that technology change that's occurring? Yep. So there's a whole whole thing, whole sort of collection of things that you can do. But I guess kind of the overarching thing is an awareness of the um, how humans deal with change. And you said at the start that that people are um, uncomfortable with change. That's part of human nature. Most people generally, if you think in terms of personal things, most people need to get into an extremely uncomfortable or or scary position before they will actually choose change. You think of anybody who needs to make major health changes in their life. Generally, it's a health scare that prompts them to actually do it. So realising that it is normal to be uncomfortable with change is part of it. And people actually adopting that change especially large-scale change, when it, especially when it's not their choice, it's something that their management team or an outside consultant sort of come on board with. There's almost like a, a process of accepting change that is very similar to the grief cycle. So, um, oh, Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Explain that. I think that's quite intriguing, actually. Yeah, so there, there's different stages where people will go through um, – sort of denying denying it or being shocked by it or frustrated. Um, sometimes people will get really low mood, especially when you say things like when they think there's a possibility that it's going to mean that their job becomes obsolete. Um, and there's almost like these stages that people have to go through before they start to really kind of integrate it, accept it, learn how to work with it. And it's important with how managers and the outside tech consultants, how they work with the people who are affected by it to help that process as much as possible and realise that people can go backwards and forwards along the process, similar to grief. Yes, yeah, so if you're relating it to grief, yeah, people can jump back and forth. It's a, it's a, it's a big mood swing in the, in the grief world. So, um, yeah, I, if, it, if you're aligning it to that, then maybe people are focusing on a bit more loss or something or focusing or they're losing um, rather than gaining because uh, that would be loss would align to grief. That's how I would see it probably coming together. Yeah, so that makes sense. You are mm. spot on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense because if you look at that, if you're in a position where new technology is coming in, um, it's potentially impacting your day-to-day um, and you're seeing that it's automating half of your day-to-day and then, oh, I'll start focusing on where on loss, which could impact that grief cycle because that is a loss piece. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's quite um, important for people to understand, especially if they're dealing with these conversations both internally um, and at the consultant level that's selling a product because that needs to be managed by somebody because it is impactful. Yep. Yep. 
and and there's things that that the the management team or the consultants can do mm-hmm. in order to help that process and help that acceptance through to to integration. And if it's not done well, it can actually jeopardize the whole thing. If people, I've seen incidents where people haven't liked a change happening, and this is actually one of the, from. There's lots of case studies in my book that you that you mentioned. Um, one of the things is is around um, a change that wasn't adopted, and people can be quite um, uh, creative in how they find go arounds if they don't want to adopt something. Um, <laughs> it is, a, it is an, an issue for um, technology providers, for businesses that invest in things and. Buying from the end users is paramount. If you don't get buying, that system's not going to be used properly. Hence, it's not going to produce the productivity that's expected, not going to produce the um, return on investment, and it will dwindle away if it's not done properly. So, um, it's really important this gets tackled. We've seen it in our um, our business. So, core business is a technology business. Been running that for about 13, 14 years now. Um, building technology products, we've built custom product that's built for corporate. Um, it was about six, seven years ago now. I won't name the name, but um, effectively built it with one department, a marketing department, a core product that was going to be seen to change quite a bit in the in the organisation. Um, probably being a little bit naive on that at that time, um, and it was a good learning experience for us. We, we didn't really push in on the, the other key stakeholders that will be impacted by this, and nor did the department. So they spent quite a chunk of budget from the department. I think it was about two or three hundred grand build for the first version and they're looking to expand this after the fact. Um, but first version came around and uh, there was pushback from everywhere, every other department because they saw impact. It was they were not consulted on this thing and it all disappeared um, and pretty much become shelfware. So I've seen this face-to-face in action um, with one of our, and that is a multinational global multi-billion dollar business trying to, in Australia, they were trying to impact the global business. And I think they just cut off more than they could chew really. So yeah, I've seen this happen in action. <laughs> yeah. And and the impact, as you said, the impact for the business trying to adopt this, they're, yes. they're trying to make something better in, and the end effect, if it's not done properly and getting sort of that buy-in from, from the people affected, it can actually do the opposite. So yes. um yeah, it's 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 really can't emphasise enough how important it is. So on that front, um, buy-in. How does someone approach buy-in when we're impacting change? Um, probably not looking at the loss, looking at what's positive. I would imagine, but how would we go about doing that? Because that is really pivotal, and that is, yeah. I would imagine, one of the key things on change management: focusing on the positive outcomes of this, what it's going to mean for you on a day-to-day, um, your your department, your division on a day-to-day. So what, yeah. That's probably how I see it. It's more about attracting buy-in in the change management process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's quite a few different things that can be done by the management or by the um, the contractors who are mm-hmm. implementing. So simple things like get the people involved who are actually mm. um, who are actually going to be impacted. So rather than just giving them a new solution and going, "Yep, there you go." Actually, get them involved in the whole process. Get their ideas. Get their um, them actually saying and putting in the table out front. What are the actual? What do they think may be the problems with this? So it's kind of you got to do it in a very careful way, so it doesn't become a big negative session. But find out what are the potential problems, 
with a focus around what's the solution, how can we do this so that it doesn't become a negative thing. So you're getting their buy-in. It's really good a lot of the time to have people have a role in it. So maybe um, you could have somebody or a team who are, who are your main feedback or even say to everybody your main feedback. So listen, your role is to give this a go and let us know what are the issues. So it's almost like giving them permission and giving them um, some sort of ownership over the process and the final solution. Um, and, and part of that is also having them so that they feel that they've got some influence over it because, as you said, people don't like change, especially when it's it's enforced from outside so where they don't feel that they have any sort of say or, or or influence over it they're more likely to be resistant to it so you want them involved so that they feel they have influence you also want to have a situation where people have lots of training um, one of the other things that I've seen is where just say a new computer systems put in um, and there will often be a a section of the the um, staff who really aren't comfortable on a technological um, level with using it and they almost feel um, stupid or like they're degrading themselves by admitting that they're having trouble with the technology so you want to make yeah you want to make it so there is an enormous amount of training or as much training as they need there's things like help, help, um, ways that they can ask for help or ask for guidance. And there's no negative, um, perception or negative impact on that. Um, and it's often, it's, you've got to, especially actually, it's probably a really good thing to bring in. A lot of tech people, I'm guessing, and I'm making assumptions. So please tell me if I'm wrong. That's okay. A lot of tech people are going to be on the younger yeah. generation. Oh, you have that sort of, um, you do have a bit of a skew there. You do, generally. <laughs> generally, yes, yes. <laughs> I am making broad generalisations, yeah. so please don't take it as the norm. But as a general rule, your younger generation will adopt tech, tech stuff a lot quicker. For your sure. Your older generation I, will I be... I would agree with that. I think that's pretty much sort of set in stone. The 20 to 30-year-olds are going to pick up things a lot quicker than the, the 50 to 60-year-olds or the, even sometimes yep. the 40, 50, 60-year-olds. I think you've been brought up with technology and you've seen it around as you've grown up with it um, so it's less foreign so i think that's that's a given um, but i think one of the, the key things that you mentioned here is um, that i saw was ownership so taking giving them some ownership as and getting involved so that is the, the more they're heard and the more they think they can influence and get ownership i think that's that's pivotal that's even important when we're building technology to get people involved in the process. Um, so if you're rolling out just a piece of tech, I think still getting them involved and in how it's going to get rolled out, maybe how it's going to get set up, what the challenges might be, is this still makes a lot of sense because the more people own and the more people feel like it's their idea, um, it it's makes things a lot easier to get buying, right? Yeah. But the training's good too, I think, um, because sometimes as tech delivery, we can just, deliver a blanket training and not cover the, the the edges that might need to be additional assistance and how do we support them and just think about them as well that some uh, maybe are struggling or are technically savvy that just need a little bit more hand holding yeah. yeah and for it to be socially acceptable and encouraged 
for them to ask for that extra hand-holding because there's a lot of um, people, if they're not comfortable with the technology, they'll find, as I mentioned earlier, go-arounds rather than adopting it if they feel that they're not safe in actually asking for that extra help. So there's a real cultural thing around that. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. I think it's more of an internal cultural challenge potentially than a, a product and a technology challenge. So that's beyond just the change piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do you manage that? Because I, f- I feel like a cultural challenge is bigger than a change challenge potentially in that world, in that city. Um, because if the culture is don't ask questions, just follow instruction and you're stuck, that person's likely to just find a workaround or just be there stressing about the whole process. So that's more likely in that environment than one that one's more um but then the culture's more free free open, free questions, door open door policy. It's a very different environment then, right? And much easier to probably implement change. So at that level you want to be looking at probably cultural first with change if it's a big organization. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, This ties into one of the key things that I um, talk about in terms of culture around that psychological safety where people feel safe to voice opinions, ask for help, try new things, um, possibly make mistakes and, and errors and it's actually okay because it's part of the learning process. Um, so you're absolutely spot on. It's a very large cultural thing. And, and psychological safety is thrown around at the moment as a, as a, um, one of those buzz, buzz terms at the moment. But my gosh, um, saying it and doing it are two very different things. And it is, is extremely important. Mm. It's, I think, um, yeah, we will be conscious of everyone needs to be heard and respected. I feel like they're, they're two probably key things in that in terms of feeling safe um, in an environment. And it's, I think it's more challenging the bigger the organisation gets to um, police that or manage that or make sure that environment still safe to that, that point. Um, I think in smaller businesses, I think it can be a lot easier to pinpoint challenges in that pretty quickly. So there's advantages of being a little bit smaller and nimble on that side, whereas at a, at a big corporate level, the cultural side can be really a lot more challenging to manage, you would expect. Um, yeah. So do you work, you work a lot more in that, in that cultural change in the, in the corporate environment and setting. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you you you're absolutely correct. The larger the organisation, the harder this is to manage, and the more mm-hmm. strategic they have to be about mm-hmm. managing it. Yeah. Um. And to me, a lot of my philosophy, a lot of it comes back to their leadership development programs as well, which is also okay. a big area that's feeling right. lacking for a lot of organisations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot in that. So, some some key takeaways from this conversation. Um. If I'm uh, within an organisation, some of the key things that if I'm looking at implementing some technology change is just understanding that there could be a bit of a, a challenge and a pushback from people in their environment. So getting them involved in change, I think, is pivotal to this conversation and especially the key stakeholders, key users, getting them involved as as much as we humanly can. I think it's also onus on the, um, the actual technology providers to think about this and have these conversations with anyone they're rolling technology out to to really drive that conversation, make sure you are pushing that 
to the organization because, in effect, um, you're guiding them on the rollout piece and you're advising. And if it's just a couple of training sessions and that's your advice and they accept that, that's really on you, not on them. Um, we take responsibility for how you roll out. And in effect, as a technology provider, we want the smoothest possible rollout that we can. So we need to consider this as our responsibility, um, not just the, the business's responsibility. So something for our listeners to think about um, and just having to think about if you're rolling out, especially big corporates, larger levels, um, there's a number of users you need to consider and how you manage that training and scale. Uh, but even in smaller organisations, because uh, managing change, if it's left to just one or two people in that business, in a smaller business, maybe it just doesn't get the proper uptake that it could. So the more, more aggressive we can be about this, I think um, the better from a technology provider's perspective. The other thing I would add to that, and I think you're absolutely correct, the other thing I would add is that it's also a reflection on that technology provider. Mm. So if it's not adopted, is that mm. program actually or is that supplier or that program going to be seen in a positive light? No. Probably not. not. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a key reflection on, on the, the tech provider as well. Correct, yeah. That's important as a tech provider. Your objective is to be adopted and add value um, and if – the piece, if you're not adopted because of this piece, um, it's probably because you haven't given it any attention because, it, yeah, it's something that you really need to consider when you're looking at rolling out anything new, especially it's going to have a big impact and change. But any technology, and I know you've probably been there, Jody, where you've um, downloaded a new tool online and um, you've, you've probably been a bit lost in it and you've put it to the side because it's just too hard basket. Um, and there might be another scenario where you downloaded something and you had some good tutorials and it just explained everything really well. It took you through a wizard and walked you through step by step how to work through this thing and you probably got a more satisfying experience from it. So um, it's about yeah, encouraging that person through the program and, and actually hand-holding them until they get a, a good grip on what it actually is, does, and how it actually benefits them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I make I, I like that analogy you had around yeah, having the support when you download yeah. something yourself versus, yes. oh, that's too hard, I'll do it later. Yeah, oh, we've all done it. Um, and I feel like everyone can relate to that because even an app on your phone, if it's too complicated, you just never touch it again. Um, that's the reality. So we've all can ex- see that at a personal level. But when you're looking and rolling out to a thousand hundred, whatever the number is, it doesn't really matter. Um, you're impacting each individual and everyone's different. That is the biggest challenge with rollouts and change. Everyone's got a different perception um, and we'll pick it up in different ways. So you've got to cater for everybody or ends of that spectrum. Absolutely. Um, really, really good. Your book, tell me a little bit about it because I think um, it might help some people. Um, tell me a bit about what it's, what's in it and um, if anyone wants to get access to the book and maybe buy it from maybe Amazon it is or you directly from yourself. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, yep. So um, world-class leadership. Um, basically, it is written for uh, C-suite executives. Mm-hmm. Um, so your CEOs, your CFOs, your CIOs, the sort of higher-level executives. And it's around um, 10 key things that come up as issues, um, cultural issues, mm-hmm. um, fairly regularly. So it's, okay. it's, it's written around as a self-awareness piece. Mm-hmm. So basically if if a, a leader reads a chapter, they can look at the chapter and look at the case studies in the chapter and go, yes, that one applies to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whoops, that's a big problem we need to address it. Or they go, oh, okay, well, that's interesting, but doesn't apply to us, move mm-hmm. on to the next one. So mm-hmm. it's it's designed to be 
an awareness piece to highlight some of which ones of those key mm-hmm. cultural issues um, and common cultural issues apply to them so that they can then mm. do something about addressing them. Not oh, very good. So if anyone wants to buy the book, where can they find it? Um, probably the easiest way is to go onto my website, which mm-hmm. is just, you'll see in the show notes, the spelling of my name. It's just jodywalkling.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and on there they can um, – basically see the services that I provide, but there's also um, a tab there for that says book um, and that'll give the information there and there's a spot on there where they can register and request a copy. Oh, beautiful, Jody. Um, and my last words are change. It's happening all around us all the time, but um, I think that if we dig in and understand what some of the challenges might be uh, just on this episode and how people might experience it, we can make things a lot easier for our people and our, our teams that are rolling out, especially technology change. So um, everyone jump on and look into this area because I think it's quite important and pivotal to everyone's success. If you're looking at rolling out technology in a, in a business, that will definitely help quite a bit. And if you're a provider, um, it's something you want to pay attention to and how you improve the areas of giving ownership to the people in the business getting to influence some of the decisions that are made and also um, training and making sure you're training everyone on all the spectrums because some people may need a little bit of hand-holding. Some people may just watch a video or two and they're up and running. So um, understand that's really pivotal. Thank you, Jody, um, for sharing your experience, some of the key things that people want to think about when managing especially technology change. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me as a guest, Andrew. Oh, thank you, Jody. Thanks for your time.